Hi there, and welcome to the Wayback Music Machine podcast, the show that takes a lighthearted look at the week that was in rock and roll history. I'm Tony Stewart. I'm Aaron Badgley. Aaron, what are we going to be talking about today? We're going to talk about a band. Guess who? Oh, that's a big hint, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) It's not the who. Guess who, Tony? Guess who? Guess who? <laughs> and some other BB uh, King, and maybe some, um, oh, I don't know, maybe we should talk about um, Neil Diamond. And you have a really cool story for the Memphis to Mem- uh, Merseyside. So, yeah, let's do it. So, this is road trip number 53. So what do you say that we head to one of our favorite spots, New York City in 1970 on May the 9th, to be specific? Sounds like a plan. All right. And guess who? (laughs) So here we are, May 9th, 1970, New York City. You know what? I have to say, I love 70s fashion air, and I just do. Well, the good thing is the pant legs go right down to the shoes. Yes, they do. So uh, anybody who was listening last week heard our (laughs) rant about uh, current fashion trends. Uh, What do you like about it? Well, you know what? It was just cool. You know, they were so different. The outfits were so different and colorful and dare I say, optimistic. Didn't it feel optimistic? I mean, even though I know it was the height of Vietnam and all that stuff, but some of the stuff that came out in the 70s just felt so optimistic. I have to agree. I I, I agree. And and that that comes through in the music. I mean, even though it was the peak of Vietnam and we're moving into Watergate and we're moving into some really bad times in the 70s, there was was a spark that, that seems to be lacking, in my opinion, these days. Yeah, I would uh, wholeheartedly agree with you. So what is this guess who business we're talking about? Well, you remember the guess who? Burton Cummings. Oh, I absolutely do. I love those guys. I do too. Have you ever seen them live? I have seen um, Burton Cummings live, but I've never seen the band. Okay. I I saw them with my brother probably in 19... I was six or seven. So 71, I guess. They were great live. Anyway, so the guess who on this on May 9th, 1970, they started a three week run at number one on the U.S. singles charts with actually a controversial song. It was the group's sixth top 30 hit, but their only chart topper in America called American Woman. Yeah. And, you know, I, I was really surprised to learn a few things about this song while we were uh, researching this is. I always assumed, like everybody else, the the narrative was that American Woman was not actually about a woman, that it was actually about Canada's relationship with the United States, and it was an anti-Vietnam song, but turns out it's not that at all, is it? (laughs) No, it's it's much more grounded in really, uh, and I agree with you, I, I always thought, being in Canada, that it was a song about being America's little neighbor, and their stance in many things. But according to Burton Cummings, who wrote the lyrics, he, he he had a different, well, he said in 2013 what he thought the song was about, or at least what he was thinking about when he wrote the song. Yeah, and his quote is hilarious. He said, Yeah, I thought so too. Go ahead. Uh, what was on my mind was that girls in the States seemed to get older quicker than our girls, and that made them, well, 
dangerous. When I said American woman, stay away from me, I really meant Canadian woman, I prefer you. It was all a happy accident. But, Tony, your notes, I mean, the whole song was a happy accident. I mean, the lyrics were a happy accident, but so was the actual song itself, right? Yeah, it is, uh, it is bizarre how this song came together. So, Randy Bachman, of course, uh, had broken a string during a live show, and he was just <laughs> doing this riff on stage, you know, uh, trying to kill some time. And a fan in the audience who recorded the gig brought it to the band after the show and said, you got to do something with this. This is fantastic. And so they turned out that that famous iconic uh, guitar riff from American woman was developed into a song. But think about this, Aaron, how much more access fans had back in the seventies to their, to their idols. Hundred percent. I mean, how did this tape get to Randy Bachman? This guy had to have either mailed it or given it to him by hand, right? Yeah. Well, he gave it to him by hand after the show. So amazing. It is. It is absolutely amazing, and and I guarantee you that's not happening in twenty twenty two. No, not unless you're in you know um, a small pub in Ireland. But and and the fact that what I thought was funny about that story, Tony, is that the band didn't seem to mind this guy recorded the set. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, oh, thanks. <laughs> yeah, thanks. We'll we'll turn that into a song. But um, this was the Guess Who's biggest hit. But they had so many great songs, didn't they? And I was just thinking they must be thankful for that one fan to who who was such a fan. He wanted to tape them live, and he preserved that moment that they could turn it into a song that made number one literally around the world. Yeah. Now, do you have a favorite Guess Who song? Is there one that stands out to your? You know, I do. Uh, I really like American Woman. And of course, I was lucky to see Burton Cummings and Randy Bachman play with Ringo um, on that tour where they did American Woman. Uh, but I really like, and you're going to, I don't have an answer for you, um, but I really like Running Back to Saskatoon. Okay. You know what song? How about yours? What's oh, yours? Bus Driver. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yeah, that, that is the best song. Put that on the Spotify playlist if you can. Uh, I'm doing it right now, actually, yes. Yeah, what a fantastic... Oh, I mean, they've no sugar tonight. There's so many of them, right? I, well, all their songs. I mean, These Eyes, which is oh. a, another monster hit. And uh, they were just so good. And and they seem to, to kind of... Yeah, I, I tell you, I even like Clap for the Wolfman. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, I it's, can, it's, you know, it's not my favorite Guess Who song, but but still, you know decent no, song but if for you sure. hear it if, if you hear it every 10 years it's it's good to hear right well that's right but uh i heard that their record had been sent around to djs all over the place you know with guess who written on on uh, you know the envelope <laughs> or whatever and and people just assumed it was a british invasion band uh do you know are there any truth to those rumors or they're 100 uh, percent true they're american label look Back in the late '60s, the British, the British invasion was still going on, even in the late '60s. Mm-hmm. And to be perfectly frank, although the late '60s you had Joni Mitchell, Neil Young, Leonard Cohen, some Canadians making inroads into the music scene, Canadian groups not so much. So they sent out a single, and they credited it to guess who with a question mark. <laughs> it was a publicity stunt, <laughs> um, but it worked. It worked indeed, and and 
it was funny because that's how they got their name because they were originally what was it name? Chad Allen and the um, Chad Allen and the expression expressions oh I can't talk today Tony Chad Allen and the expressions which is a hard name to say and um, they were actually originally the reflections that there was another band so you know that kind of stuff but can you imagine again accidental like oh, the yeah. song like the lyrics it's just like all these little accidents formed into a perfection you know yeah and a bunch of guys from winnipeg right go figure of all places <laughs> and and you know uh the other thing that's interesting about these guys from winnipeg is they wrote a song that would go on to be a huge hit for lenny kravitz i mean you remember when he recorded it yeah and i actually like lenny's version as well it's it's pretty cool well what's not i mean first of all the video was great. Oh, Lady yeah. Kravitz, pretty styling guy, right? Do mm-hmm. you know who his parents were? I don't. Who were they? Do you remember the Jeffersons? Yep. Do you remember they had upstairs neighbors? There was a, a, a black woman and a, and a white guy. They were married. Yes. So the, the so they he was the, the the woman. That's his mom. Oh wow! And and the, the his father was a white actor. So it was kind of a mirror reflection of what you saw in the Jeffersons. So he was born into an entertainment family, but he made his own sound. But um, yeah, America, and it was from the uh, film I know you've seen, Austin Powers, The Spy. Yeah, Shankly. yeah, that's a great scene in there with uh, American Woman. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We should we should do a show one day, Tony, and just talk about great comedies with great music in it. You know, like um, an excellent special episode. Yeah. Oh, Zoolander's one of my faves. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm giggling. I can't stop giggling. Me too. I've got the gasoline fight scene stuck in my head with the wham song. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I was thinking that. I swear. I swear. That's what I was thinking about the gasoline fight. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there is uh, also a very cool. Guess who? Well, Randy Bachman, to be specific. There's a a very cool Randy Bachman connection to the Beatles. And um, you know this, I'm sure. But uh, have you ever seen the clip where he explains it? Randy Bachman figured out the mystery chord. For a hard day's night. For a hard day's night. That opening chord that stumped musicians for decades. And uh, he took the original masters. He got to hear them. and And he was able to isolate every single part and figure out what they played and and i saw you know on uh, on a on an internet clip where he showed how the chord was built who was playing what you know he said john was doing this george was doing this paul was doing this and and uh, strums the chord is so cool i love that it's one of the and, and mccartney actually complimented him on yes, i think did. mccartney he did right and he, yeah. i think he said oh, i'm glad he did it because we forgot how we did it <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fantastic. Now, what did you pick for uh, charts at this time? Before I go to the charts, I have to say one thing. Yeah, I miss Randy Bachman on the radio. Oh, me too. Say. We've uh, we've we've talked about this CBC's uh, short sightedness many times on this show. I I just had to say it. I miss I miss his show because I loved Saturday nights are not quite the same. And you know what? I'm glad that he didn't stay quiet about it too. So good no, on you. I'm Randy. with you. Yeah. Well, so in terms of charts, I just want to say that Billboard placed the chart at number three for the top 100 singles of 1970. So that's pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. And it went gold in America, and it reached the top 10 in the Netherlands, Switzerland, Austria, UK, and New Zealand. But I picked the top five Canadian singles at RPM Magazine for the week because I thought we're talking about a Canadian band. So what the hell, right? We've got to put in some music. Oh, well, that's right. Number five. Do you remember this band? I'm going to tell you right now, full on, I loved this band. K-92. 
Kenny Rogers and the first edition, Something's Burning. Yeah, that's a Love, great song. Isn't it? Yeah. Okay. And and I just checked in to see what condition my condition was in. Ruby, don't take your love to town. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh Cream Records. Number four, Jackson 5 with ABC. An all-time One, two, classic, three. yeah. Classic. Number three is not a classic. I don't know if you know it. It's a group called The Beatles. A little-known <laughs> song, right, called Let It yeah. Be. Have you heard it? Yeah, yeah, I think I have, maybe once or twice. <laughs> uh, number two, another song that I, it was, I love doing the charts because I chance upon songs. You go, oh, I forgot this song. Um, this is the original cast with Mr. Monday. Oh, cool. Love that song. And number one, of course, no surprise, American Woman. But in Canada, it was American Woman and No Sugar Tonight. So both songs, number one in Canada. Yeah, amazing. Now, I'll tell you what, for the next uh, part of our trip, we're going to jump ahead to May the 14th, 2015. And uh, we're going to be talking about a giant of the second half of the 20th century, someone who influenced everybody, including Elvis Presley. But uh, we're going to be talking a little B.B. King. So you ready to go? Um, Of course, always. So it's May 14th, 2015, and the world loses, I think you used the word giant before our break. That's B.B. King, who passed away in his sleep, aged 89. Uh, he died from a series of small strokes caused by type 2 diabetes. What can you say that hasn't been said about B.B. King and his guitar, Lucille? He was a major influence on, I don't know, Tony, just about everybody. Yeah, I would say just about everybody is right. And a really interesting guy because this is a guy who grew up on a plantation and decided that music was going to be his way off the plantation. He had no desire to be doing that for the rest of his life. But, um, you know, he uh, got his first guitar. Someone uh, bought it for him and they uh, let him pay it off over a few years and he ended up making his way to Memphis. But the story behind B.B. King is fascinating because people often wonder, was was that short for his name? But it's not. Um, So it was his nickname. His real name was Riley B. King. But he he became a DJ for a while, and he became known as the Beale Street Blues Boy, which, of course, is a little hard to uh, get off the tongue, so it got shortened to BB, and it just stuck. I never knew that until you put that in the notes. I was always wondered where BB came from. I knew King was his real last name, um, but I always thought maybe his name was like you know Bobby Boris. <laughs> I don't know, um, but yeah, that's he's that's. In, I'd love to hear. I would love to hear the bill street blues boy radio show yeah and and, uh you know it was actually another radio show a really popular radio show back when he was on the plantation uh there was a show called king biscuit time and um he would listen to that when he was on breaks and he would hear all kinds of artists and decided you know that is for me that is my ticket out of here so and king biscuit time is called that because it was paid for by a company king biscuit that's right they would have these radio hours sponsored by you know king biscuit or whoever it was and uh 
King Biscuit Time was a was a show that a lot of uh, black listeners tuned into, and and that's where he heard it. But 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 don't you think it's odd that it was King Biscuit and his last name's King? I always thought that was a really cool coincidence. Oh, you know what? I didn't even notice that to be honest yeah. i didn't even i think always about thought it. what it, like again it's like that one of those perfect accidents that here's this guy you know riley king listening to king biscuit time oh yeah that's very cool i didn't even notice that cool pretty cool right yeah so he makes his way to uh memphis and and pretty quickly becomes part of the beale street scene and, and beale street of course was part of the black area of town and Here's a name that pops up all the time. Guess who did a lot of his early recordings, folks? Sam Phillips. And you'll recognize that name as the person who first recorded a, a certain Elvis Presley. And did you know, have you ever seen B.B. Uh, King talk about Elvis Presley? Or I have him? indeed, yes, yeah. yes. And because I, I'm, I have a little bone to pick with people. That, you know, uh, one of the things that people try to say now is that Elvis was a cultural appropriator which is just absolute nonsense so i'm not even gonna entertain that with a rant but um bb king thought that elvis presley was amazing and vice versa you know elvis was highly inspired by bb king but then when you listen to bb king talking about elvis he says he thought he was incredible he said he had it all he had the looks he had the voice he had the stage presence he could play a guitar he had everything and uh you know, B.B. King said it, he was jealous. So, you know, there again, it just drives me nuts when people try to spin the narrative in a different direction because Elvis Presley was not an appropriator at all. And if you take the time to listen to old Elvis interviews or even read them, he gives credit. He constantly. doesn't ever constantly. He's yeah. referencing so many people. Robert Johnson, he references B.B. King. He, he, he doesn't, he references Big Mama Thornton. Yeah. He doesn't make, he doesn't hide it. He's not trying to say, hey, I've come up with this. No. It's, it's stuff he really, it was his influence, right? And so B.B. King was prolific, right? Look at this. I was looking at your notes here. 43 studio albums, 11 live albums, 138 yep. singles. That's incredible. Yeah. Okay, and it's, it is incredible. And his first single was 1949, <laughs> but he he didn't chart on the singles chart until 51 with a song called Three O'Clock Blues, um, which made it to number one on the R&B charts. But then he, he, he had R&B hits, but he didn't really leave that chart. And it's incredible to think, Tony, that his first album to chart was in 68. Yeah. Um, great album, Blues on Top of Blues. Mm-hmm. And his biggest selling album was in 2000. Yeah, it's it's unbelievable. And he played well into his 80s, right? I mean, he Oh yeah. And I mean, he couldn't he couldn't stop. Nope. And we should talk about uh, his guitar playing because one of the things, one of the hallmarks of BB King, you know, people used to say he could get more out of one note than most guitarists could get out of an entire solo. Um mm -hmm. B.B. King didn't play chords on stage, only melody. I'm not, did you know that? You know, not until I read your note. And then what I did when I read that is I went on YouTube and I started listening and it made, I heard that then I went, oh yeah, next, I never realized it, no. Yeah, didn't play chords, only melodies. And you know, his ability to bend was just unparalleled. I mean, it's just beautiful, beautiful player. Loved did you, playing. did you know that though? Did you? Did I you, did, or? I did. Yep. Wow. That's so cool. 
But you're a musician, so you'd pick up on that sooner than me, right? Yep. And and he talked about that actually. BB King did. He'd say, "Yeah, no, I don't play chords. He just he just played uh, played melody and did it exceptionally well." But an incredible artist. Yeah, he he was. Um, I mean, look, Rolling Stone placed him third behind Jimi Hendrix and Dwayne Allman. Yeah. Uh, in its list of the hundred greatest guitarists of all time, and. I'm going to say I don't think Hendrix or Dwayne Allman would exist without BB King. No, absolutely not. A good, good point. And looking at your charts here, you picked an interesting one for this time period. Well, I figured. So this is 2015. I thought, you know what, R&B had changed from the time that, and you got to look at these pioneers who who pioneered rhythm and blues, mm-hmm. and um, and I'm going to put Chuck Berry in there. I know he's an early rock and roller, but he was doing rhythm and blues and stuff. So I looked at the top five R&B albums for this time uh, in 2015. Uh, I'm going to be honest with you, two of them I really like, and I don't know some of them, and one I don't like at all. <laughs> so the first one, number five, is Jenna Aiko with a, an EP called Sail Out. I don't know anything about Jenna Aiko. Do you? Uh, never heard of him or her or they, or I, I have no idea who that is. <laughs> no. I don't either. Number four is an artist I'm not, I'm going to be blunt, I'm not a big fan of. Beyonce is a number four with her album, Beyonce. Do you know what? I am not a big fan either, but it's not that I, she is incredibly talented. She is. I I agree. Off the charts talented. I just would like to see her do more material that truly showcases her talent. But that's just an opinion. Well, am I, and I agree with you. And I also think she could dial back the I'm the Empress of the World routines, you know, because that gets a bit much after a while. Number three is a guy I love, John Legend. Love him. Mm -hmm. Uh, Love is the future. Love in the future. Number two, I'm not a a huge fan, but actually some of the August uh, Alicina stuff is pretty good. Number two, Testimony. And number one is an artist I think you like. Yeah, I like some of Farrell Williams stuff, you know. Uh, He's an interesting guy. He is. very talented now i don't know if the album's called girl or g-i-r-l so i'll do both <laughs> yeah yeah i i don't know either but, but uh, <laughs> that's, that's a cool chart now for our next segment um we're going to be heading to 2008 and talking about well we're staying i guess in uh, new york city because new york city. yeah uh, well we can go get a slice yeah let's do it still don't <laughs> like the new york slices as much as chicago though do you ever do you ever do you ever watch the American version of The Office? Uh, yes, yes. And Michael Scott went to New York, and he's in walking down Broadway, and he goes, "When I come to New York, I want to go for an authentic slice, so I go to Sabaros." Like Sabaros. <laughs> <laughs> and Sabaros is like this massive chain, folks. Right? It just yeah, makes me laugh no, every time I see that scene. Well, all this food talk is making me hungry. I think it's time for a commercial break, and I found an oldie but a goodie. So we will be right back. You'll love the double fresh taste and double smooth chewing goodness of double mint gum. 
That's why we say that chewing double mint doubles the pleasure of everything you do. So remember, double mint adds to your fun. It's fun. Double pleasure all in one. So delicious, great to chew. Treat yourself and your friends too. Tastes so good and lasts so long. Get some soon, you can't go wrong. Double mint adds to your fun. Double mint chewing gum. So how's that for a blast from the past? I love that commercial. Love it. Double mint gum. Love it. And you were telling me on the break that uh, you had a, a an argument at work that you won. Yeah, well, I was talking about, and it's really weird. It was the day that you sent the commercial, and I had no idea you were sending a double mint commercial. And I was at work, and I said, I could use some double mint gum. And someone said, well, they stopped making that decades ago. I said, no, it's still being made. And they went, no, no, Aaron, you're too old. It's, it's not. So I Googled it. I was right. It was uh, You could go to Walmart and pick it up. So uh, I won that one. So oh, the, nice. take that, you um, Gen Xer. <laughs> okay. So here we are. It is May the 15th, 2008. And we're talking Neil Diamond. And since you're the chart guy, I'm going to turn it over to you because this is a, a pretty significant achievement. It's a weird one, too. Yeah, thanks, Tony. But Neil Diamond in this 2008 had his first first folks first number one album called home before dark he was 67 at the time it was his 29th studio album and he became the oldest artist to have a u.s number one beating bob dylan by three months no by two years by a year i failed math Tony. Two years dylan made number one in 2006 with modern times dylan was 65 but can you believe that it took to 2008 for Mr. Diamond to have a number one album. That floors me. That, me too. Uh, I can't too. get over that. But are you a Neil Diamond fan? Okay. I have every record he's ever put out except for one, and I keep looking for it, and I can't find it. But yes, I love Neil Diamond. How yeah, you? so do I. You know, I, I think uh, if I had to pick uh, maybe a favorite song that puts a smile on my face every time I hear it is uh, Cracklin' Rosie. I absolutely adore that song. Crackling Rose. My favorite Neil Diamond song is I Am, I Said. Oh, yeah, that's a great one, too. And Song, Song Blue. Oh, oh my gosh. There's so many great ones. I have to tell you, I was in a store. Oh, this would be maybe (laughs) six months ago. I think I told you the story. And they were playing (laughs) playing Sweet Caroline on the uh, speakers. And literally everybody standing near me, like, you know, there's probably 20 of us in line at the grocery store. You know, Neil sings Sweet Caroline and all of us. Bah, bah, bah. It was just made my day. It was fantastic. <laughs> and those are the moments you can't plan. That's fantastic, eh? That's yeah. just, that's the best kind of. Um, but his music is so instant, re- instantly recognizable. I mean, you look at the hits this guy had, you oh. know, Forever in Blue Jeans. Um, Do you ever hear the story about uh, the, the famous duet with Streisand? Uh, you know, Bring Me Flowers? No. So. Neil Diamond wrote the song. He sent it to Streisand. She recorded it. He recorded it. And a DJ took both the records and live on the air mixed them together. Oh. And um, people were flooding the station going, play that again. So he created a tape with both of them singing it. And uh, Columbia Records heard about this. And since Neil and Barbara are on the same label, they said, let's put it as a single. It was actually a creation of a DJ. That's so. very so. He must have done that first before he did it live, because otherwise, right? The tempo 
uh, wooden right. line up and stuff. Oh, wow. That is a, yes. a very cool story. Aaron, cool. I, there were a few other times I think we could have rang the bell this episode, but I'm going <laughs> to ring it right now. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so what an, ach- what an achievement for Mr. Diamond, 67 years old, the oldest uh, artist to have a number one. Is that still standing, that record? It's still standing, which is pretty cool. Um, a couple of years ago, Chuck Berry came to number two okay. with an album, and it just he would have been the eldest, but unfortunately, he just missed number one. Have you the, the album Home Before Dark? By the way, uh, although it made number one, is not an album that a lot of people own or play. I love the album; had a great song on it called "Pretty Amazing Grace." I mean, the whole album is great, but that was the the hit single. Interesting, Tony. If you look at Neil Diamond's album sales, it's not his biggest selling album. His biggest selling album was. Jonathan Livingston Seagull, which sold 10 million copies in 73, it only peaked at number two. Wow. And then the jazz singer sold 6 million. Home Before Dark sold 800,000 copies, but it made number one. Well, that's the 2000s for you, though, right? I mm -hmm. mean, nowadays it's a pretty big thing. If if an album hits a million, that is a huge, huge deal. Adele. (coughs) Sorry, what? That's right. (laughs) About every seven or eight years, yep. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for clogging up the vinyl production. Um, Exactly. And Rick Rubin produced the album. And Rick Rubin had just resurrected Johnny Cash's career with his American Recordings album. But Rick Rubin was known to produce, what, Run DMC, Dancing. Uh, The Chicks, formerly the Dixie Chicks. uh, Yeah. he, He did their album Take the Long Way back in 2006, yeah. That, there's a great song on that album called I'm Not Ready to Make Nice. Oh, yeah, that is a fantastic song. Isn't that great? I love that song. I yeah. think you should put that on the list, too. You know what? I will. Okay, sounds good. <laughs> so It is a good song. I'm looking at uh, the chart here. Again, Aaron, you're you're doing something different. So what'd you pick for the chart? <laughs> I'm going to try not to be um, opinionated. So... You said something a minute ago. You said, well, that's the 2000s charts for you because at this point, albums are starting to be streamed as were songs. So because it was a fairly new format, Billboard had the top five digital songs. So I thought, well, they had the top 100, but I went with the top five digital songs for that week. Um, I don't own any of them, just full disclosure. Number five is Ray J and Youngberg. Sexy, can I? I've never even heard of them, so nope. Yeah. Number four is Jordan Sparks with Chris Brown. Uh, no air. Wasn't she that American Idol finalist or something, Jordan Sparks? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know if she made it to the... Did she make it to the finals? She was American Idol, yeah. Okay, yeah. I, I believe that if you Google her, she's in the Where Are They Now pile. Um, it's good news, it's not. <laughs> Number three is Lil Wayne and Static Major with Lollipop. Number two, Madonna. Um, I got deed, should we say featuring, featuring Justin Timberlake and four minutes, which is about three minutes and 59 seconds too long. Yes, uh, agreed. <laughs> Did you see she's just releasing a, a Greatest Hits album? I think it's her 10th Greatest Hits album. Oh, wow. Anyways, um, listen, if you're looking for a Christmas gift for me, don't choose that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, noted. <laughs> and number one, probably my own, the one song I do like on the top five is Leona Lewis and Bleeding Love. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good song. She's got a good voice. She should have made it bigger than she did. I think she has got a great voice. But yeah, uh, I think she should have as well. Now, listen, it is uh, coming on time for our From Memphis to Merseyside moment, but I'm going to do something 
uh, a little different here for transition music. Normally I play Rick's uh, music that he wrote, but I'm actually going to play a live clip of uh, Elvis Presley in Los Angeles, and we'll be right back. It's a huge place, J.D. It's a long way from the auditorium in Memphis, you know that, son? Honey, I can't come out there, you know, really. I'd like to, but I can't come out there. Maybe after the show. Well, hello there. Wait a minute, wait a minute, hold it. <laughs> if we could start together, fellas, because we got Led Zeppelin out there and Jimmy Darren and a uh, whole bunch of people in. Let's try to look like we know what we're doing. What are we doing? Now, what are we doing? Well, hello there. Mine has been a long, long time. So, Tony, I'm going to pass this on to you. This is an incredibly... First of all, I love that clip. I, I don't know where you found it, but, but God bless you for finding it. That is just amazing. And I, I said to you when we were chatting, he could have made it as a stand-up. He's hilarious. Oh, yeah. It is a funny clip. And uh, we're talking May the 11th, 1974. And Elvis Presley's playing a show at the Los Angeles Forum. And word gets out to him that uh, Zeppelin, Led Zeppelin, is in the audience. And, uh, of course, he's not happy with the way the band starts. And he stops him and says, hold on a minute. And... Uh, you heard the quote. It's hilarious. Now, the interesting part of this story, well, not only that, but the interesting part of this story is what happened after is Zeppelin went backstage and uh, met Elvis, and Elvis asked for their autographs for his daughter, Lisa Marie, but it was what happened when they started talking. They talked for about two hours after the show, and they realized pretty quickly, and I, I was watching an interview with Robert Plant talking about this. He said, we realized that we were all influenced by the same people. And he's, he said Elvis was a fountain of knowledge, you know, an encyclopedia about early blues. And uh, they loved it. He said it was just a fantastic moment. And he said Elvis's voice is unparalleled. And, and Robert Plant's a great singer, so that's high praise. But uh, such a cool moment. Oh, I, I just I love the fact that um, they uh, I mean because they were like the coolest band on earth in '74. Oh yeah, and and Elvis had lost a little bit of his cool factor by '74, so I think that's a great story. And and you know when you listen to Robert Plant with Alison Krauss, you can hear the Elvis influence oh. on some of the right. You absolutely can. And you know another thing that Plant said, um, he said that Elvis knew that he was trapped in this role of playing a caricature of himself right you know in his vegas days and stuff like elvis was fully aware that this wasn't the music that he really wanted to be doing but he was he was stuck in that role but um he said elvis's knowledge was was unparalleled and uh, do you want to hear another great story sure so as uh, the band is leaving finally after a couple of hours Elvis uh, comes back out in the hallway and starts, you know, singing 
Treat me like a fool. You know that song, Love Me yeah. by, uh, which is one of my favorite Elvis songs. And good, then Plant. Good vocal, by the way, Tony. And uh, Plant sings the next line back to him, and the two of them did a duet and uh, finished up the song. And, and uh, Robert Plant said it was just a fantastic moment. So I, I had to choose that one for the uh, Memphis to Merseyside moment. Yeah, this is the one time I'm going to say this, so brace yourself. Okay. Too bad it wasn't now because someone could have caught that on their phone. Because can you imagine hearing that? Yeah, that would be fantastic. And, you know, I know neither one of us are big Zeppelin fans. Um, my issue with Zeppelin was the nonsense uh, when they were really big and the pretentiousness. But actually, I started going through Zeppelin's back catalog, like the early stuff in the 60s. And it's great. Right. When they stuck to their roots and they were playing all that blues stuff, it's fantastic. Like they were skilled, skilled musicians. Um, and that must have been to be a fly on the wall and hear that conversation would have been terrific. But don't you think that Zeppelin were worried that they were falling into the same trap as Elvis? In other words, that they could not break out of their image. And they did, though. I mean, I put a song on the Spotify playlist called Fool in the Rain from their Into the Outdoor album, which is so unzeppelin, it's it's funny. But it's a great song. It's a great, great song, you know? Well, yeah, exactly. So you're right. Maybe they were both feeling trapped, and uh, it was probably great for both of them just to have that chance to talk and, and commiserate with each other, right? I had to tell you my one Zeppelin story really quick. Sure. When my daughter f- moved to her last apartment in New York City, it was right around the corner from the... You know the album Physical Graffiti? Mm-hmm. That building... It was there. Oh, and wow. And there was a sign up and people, and my, Linda says, I don't know, there's all these things. What the hell is physical graffiti? I go, oh, Linda. <laughs> you're you're too young. It's a Led Zeppelin album. This is the building. It's so cool. So cool. It's still there. It looks exactly the same. Oh, that's a great story. So guess what? We're at the end of our road trip. We're at the end of uh, road trip number 53, if you can believe it. But uh as always, it's time to give some credit where credit is due. Our music today was entirely written uh, by Rick Denis and performed by Rick as well. And we want to take the opportunity to thank you for tuning in to, uh, to our show again and joining us on the road trip. We love having you with us every single week. We do indeed. And thank you for listening and sharing. And, you know, the few of you out there keep sharing it and commenting. We love the comments, Louise, Darren, everyone. So thank you very much. Yes. And, uh, you know, we've got listeners uh, all over the world now, which is which is pretty neat. And I'll show you the statistics for that, because uh, there's some unexpected places where people are listening to us. And uh, we're grateful that you're coming with us on the road trip and very grateful that you allow us in your headphones every week. Do we have any in the Shire? and on that note here we are at the end of our road trip so remember folks don't let the man get you down and keep on rocking see you next time this has been an m2m production